of our family and well from my heart I want to express our deepest gratitude to each of you for taking time to be here today to share this with us I've done so many of these kinds of things over the years this is different Many of you have prayed for us. Thank you so much. Please continue. Thank you for your many expressions of kindness to us. We are grateful. John was a special needs person. If you knew him well, you realized pretty quickly He was one of the most sensitive and deeply caring people you could ever meet. But he struggled inside because of something that happened shortly after he was born. Chris alluded to this. John was born healthy. It was a normal delivery. And two months later, our pediatrician advised us that John had a right inguinal hernia and it could be corrected with a simple procedure. He advised us to do so and we gave consent and arrangements were made and the surgery was performed. And just as we had been assured, all went well except except that back then they used ether for anesthesia. No one does that any longer. Apparently it's very difficult to control ether well. And in John's case, they did not do so well. We didn't realize that at the time, but we did recognize there was a difference in our baby boy a difference that would become more pronounced as time went by. When it was time for John to enter preschool, it was evident to us that he wasn't ready. He was developmentally behind. He was behind other children his age. A friend advised us to have him tested, and so we made arrangements to meet with a child psychologist The nearest one to us at that time was in Amarillo, Texas. We were in Beaver, Oklahoma. I was pastor of a church there. So we drove from Beaver, Oklahoma to Amarillo, Texas, and we had our son tested. A battery of tests were performed and then evaluated, and then we sat across the desk from the psychologist. He gave us the results of the test. He summed it up this way, that our son had a severe learning disability, only he didn't use that terminology. 
explained to us that our son was severely retarded. That word isn't used any longer, and rightly so. He went on to explain to us that John would never learn to read. That school would be a disaster. And that we should not expect anything from John. It would be cruel, he told us, to expect anything from John. Just take him home and love him was what we were told. We drove back from Amarillo, Texas to Beaver, Oklahoma, and all the way, Mary Helen and I were praying, asking God for his solution. What did God say to us? We did take John home, and we certainly did love him, but not for one minute did we accept the dismal prognosis that we had heard in the psychologist's office. Mary Helen was a reading teacher, and she made it her personal mission to help John become an overcomer. She succeeded. He learned to read. Not just read, but read with comprehension and enjoy reading. And reading would become his great strength. He would love reading all through his life. Psychologist was right about one thing, though. School became a disaster. And after the eighth grade, we had to pull John out of the school system. Not even special ed classes were equipped for his needs. But in spite of all the challenges and the frustrations with which he had to cope throughout the length of his life, he brought such joy into the lives of so many people. And the life that we celebrate today can only be described as an extraordinary gift. Not just to us, his parents, but to so many others. And Chris has already indicated that. Those who knew John knew that he loved people and he connected with people. For example, Mary Helen's father was... uh, of Norwegian heritage. His parents came from Norway to the United States. And when John learned that, he immediately identified as Norwegian. He was now Norwegian. And you saw on the slides a while ago the the flag of Norway. He had this full-size flag of Norway hung from the ceiling in his room so he could lie in his bed and look up and be reminded It was connection with Grandfather Matson. When Chris married and Lindsay came into our family, Lindsay was not sister-in-law. She was sister. Forget the in-law thing. Sister, connection. And because Lindsay's mother, Kay, had become Chris's mother-in-law, Simultaneously, she became John's mother-in-law. Never mind the inconsistency of all of that. It didn't, not a problem. It was connection. 
He loved people. He connected with people in remarkable ways, cared about people. He would call Mary Helen and say, what can I pray for you today? How can I pray for you today? What you got going on today? He'd call me and, and ask me to pray about someone that was on his heart. It might have been a uh, staff person in a group home or another resident in the home or someone else that was on his heart, maybe facing illness or surgery or some kind of crisis, and, and he wanted me to pray. He could not know about a deep need like that and not care. He'd ask me about the church. How's the church doing? What's happening at the church? How's Pastor Alex? You were his favorite preacher, by the way. I had thought maybe I would be, but no. You were his favorite. Cared. He just cared. It was amazing. Uh, sometimes his caring would be a little unfiltered. I'm not sure John had a filter. When he was a little guy, he was hanging out in Mary Helen's classroom one day after classes, and she was busy doing something, and a school custodian came in who happened to be a woman and a little overweight, and John asked her if she was going to have a baby. She explained that she wasn't. His follow-up was, then why do you eat too much? Mary Helen overheard that, rushed to intervene, tried to divert the conversation somewhere or anywhere else. You see, he just cared about this school employee. And there was a time when uh, Mary Helen's sister, Lainey, we call her, Elaine, but Lainey flew into town and uh, Mary Helen and John went to the airport to pick her up. And... Uh, I don't know exactly how this happened, but apparently uh, her suitcase popped open as it came off the conveyor belt and dropped onto the carousel thing, you know. And it, it, when it popped open, some, I guess some items kind of spilled out and, and Lainey quickly kind of gathered it up as well as she could and closed it and she was trying to get out of there. And uh, an, an item, a personal item, had not been picked up, and I guess it was continuing on the carousel. And John saw it. And John thought maybe she didn't see it and didn't realize it. Well, she saw it. She just wanted to get out of there. And John said, Aunt Lainey, your panties. <laughs> Loudly. John was always loud. And... He just couldn't stand that something of value to Aunt Lanny was being left in the airport, and there it went, down the carousel. And uh, the more animated he became about it, the more mortified she became about it, and she just wanted to get out of the place, and Mary Helen was useless because she was doubling over with laughter. <laughs> it's just another example. He cared. That's what that was. Cared. That was John. 
Chris alluded to the fact also that he considered John the most forgiving human he's ever known. Probably so. Not only did he love people and connect with people and care about people, but he forgave people. He forgave so readily. In fact, on that Saturday morning, October 10th, when we were getting ready for the trip over to Fayetteville to see Chris and Lindsay and Eliana and their new home, when I picked John up at his group home, I, uh, I had an apology that I needed to make to him. I'd already asked God's forgiveness. It was about a, a situation where I'd been insensitive to him. And I'd asked God's forgiveness. And I needed to apologize to John. He listened as I shared the incident and apologized. And he said, ah, oh, forget it. He'd already forgiven me. That was John. Truth be told, John's interest in that trip was not about seeing Christopher and Lindsay's new home. That wasn't yet. In fact, he made it clear that if we were not going to go shopping for some Arkansas Razorback gear, he wasn't going. <laughs> so that became part of the trip. He also knew that we were going to have some serious Uno play. And he was going to get to play Chris and Lindsay and Eliana, and Eliana would be a serious contender. John could play Uno endlessly. I would become numb. <laughs> and he was still going at it. And usually won. In our family, we called him the world champion of Uno. So we were on our way to Fayetteville. We got as far as Salome Springs and we stopped for a restroom break and I was helping John get back to the car because he was very unsteady. And I noticed that he, was, he wasn't walking right at all. And I asked him, John, why are you walking like that? And he said, I can't help it. Those would be the last words I would ever hear him speak. I was holding him up and I got him outside the front door of that store where we had stopped for the break and he went down. A volunteer fireman happened to be there. He saw what was happening. He came to our aid. He discovered John had no pulse. He began CPR. Medics came, resuscitated his heart. but it had been too long without oxygen. As it turned out, brain damage affected his whole life, not just at two months of age, but there on the concrete in front of that store so suddenly literally in a heartbeat, cardiac arrest, all of which 
underscores something that I have shared with some of you many times. You've heard me share it. John had a question. It was his question. We call it John's question. I've never heard anybody else ask it. We'd be shopping. He'd get what he wanted. We'd go to the checkout line. And there'd be someone in front of us, total stranger, mind you. And I'd watch. I knew what was going to happen. He would manage to get eye contact. And then he would ask his question. No preliminaries. No, excuse me, may I ask you a question? Nothing like that. Just straight up. Will I see you in heaven? It was interesting to watch the responses to his question. Some would say absolutely or something like that. They, they, they knew. Others clearly were uncomfortable. And, and often they would act like they didn't hear him. They tried to ignore him and hope he'd get the message. He didn't. I hoped he'd leave him alone. He didn't do that either. He assumed they didn't hear him, so he asked again. And they just tried to get away as quickly as they could. It's a great question, isn't it? Is that not a great question? Well, I see you in heaven. So simple, so direct. See, John knew that he was going to heaven. That was a certainty. He knew that because there was a day, another day, long past, when he was just five years old, when he asked Jesus into his life to be his Savior. John knew that Jesus died on that cross for him and that he rose again. As we sang earlier, then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared, the grave has no claim on me. Hallelujah. John knew. And he asked Jesus into his life, which makes all the difference today. Before our, before our family came here this morning, we gathered out at Floral Haven for a graveside service, a private family time. But John is not out there in Floral Haven. He is present as surely as you and I are present in this room right now, he is present with Jesus. He's alive. He is more alive right now than he's ever been in 52 years. And he has no brain damage any longer. He has no brain damage. He has no limited vision. He has no impaired hearing. He has no anxiety about falling. He is well 
and full of joy. And we will see him there. Mary Helen and I are looking forward to seeing him. John believed the most important thing in the world was to know where you're going next. He knew. He knew he was going to heaven, and because he cared about people, he wanted them to go too. He wanted them to go too. That's why he asked his question. Maybe you've wondered, is it really possible to, to know that you're going to heaven? Is it really possible? No need to wonder, and no need to try to figure it out. Just place your trust in the one who has conquered death. Just do that. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet will he live. And he who lives by believing in me will never truly die at all. Listen to those words. He who lives by believing in me will never truly die at all. It's a promise. It is a promise from the only one who ever predicted his own death, resurrection, and then walked out of the grave. No one else ever did that. Jesus did. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, John, as well as I, would encourage you to do so. Life is fragile. It can change in a heartbeat. And the most important thing in the world is to know where you're going next. I'm going to ask Pastor Alex to come again, if you will, and lead us in prayer. Father, today we thank you that you answered our prayer at the beginning of this service, that his life would be celebrated and Jesus would be lifted up. We pray now that you would go with peace that surpasses all understanding with each of these family members and friends. Would you walk with them, give them comfort beyond explanation and peace that is supernatural. In Jesus' name we pray and together we all say, Amen.